Welcome to Return to Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Curry. If you haven't listened to our previous episode, please make sure you go back and give it a listen. It's called No Other Gods, Episode 10 on Return to Truth. Okay, before we begin today's episode, let's start off with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, clear our minds today and allow us to focus on your word. Help us to understand your commandments more clearly. Fill us with more of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If this is your first time being here today, thank you so much for joining me. If you've been here before, I definitely appreciate your continued loyalty. The aim here in this podcast is to get back to the Bible. Sola Scriptura, meaning by Scripture alone. Discerning what is truth and what is tradition. The facts from the fables. Simply put, letting the Bible interpret itself rather than relying on what is widely taught in most mainstream Christian churches. There is a great deception going on in the church. We have strayed away from the Word of God, and it's time that we return to truth. The last episode was our 10th episode, so that felt like a great time to kick off the Ten Commandments. Starting off with the top 10 on God's list, on the 10th episode of the podcast just seemed like the right thing to do, and a great segue into how we can love God in our actions. It really lined up with episode 9, Trust and Obey. With that being said, praise God we made it this far. Glory to His name. I honestly could not have done it without Him. We are all over the globe now. From the U.S. to Canada, Japan, the Netherlands, at this point, over 40 cities with over 300 downloads. Little by little, the Word of God is spreading. It's slow, but God will lead. Little is much when God is in it. So, with that being said, for those of you who are just joining us, we have just begun deep diving into the Ten Commandments. We will be going through each one of them. In our last episode, we touched base on the first of God's commandments, and now we are on number two. So let's jump right in and discuss. Without further ado, here we go. The title of today's episode is A Graven Error. Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 through 6 reads this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the second commandment of God. It aligns itself directly with the one right before it, which says, You shall have no other gods before me. What's interesting about this is that God is so serious about this topic that he had to break it down in two different ways for us, with two different commandments. He knew that not only would you set up a God before him, but you would also worship it. This commandment teaches us that we should worship God as he truly is, not in a man-made form. John chapter 4, verses 23-24, through 24, Jesus himself taught this, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. With that being said, we worship God in spirit and in truth. Neither of these things are found in any graven image or idol. 
Here's a simplified version of the second commandment given by a Bible scholar. It says, Do not think of me like the rest of the nations think of their supreme God, finite and limited. Do not think of me in such a way. I am not limited and finite. Nothing can thwart me in my purpose. Nothing in the visible realm can capture who I am and what I am like. In one sense, every visible thing reflects my nature and wisdom, for all of it is in my handiwork. But in another sense, nothing in the visible realm is like me. Nothing can adequately represent who I am. I am too big to be understood in terms of any finite thing in the natural order. Do not, therefore, think of me as a God who can be represented in terms of one finite image. If you do so, then it will not be me, Yahweh, you worship. It will be some other God of your own imagination. I am a jealous God. I, Yahweh, the all-powerful, transcendent God, am the one you must worship. You must not worship the shrunken deity of your imagination. Okay, so that's a pretty accurate description of the second commandment. You know, believe it or not, this very commandment was broken the very first day that it was given to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Let's dig into that for a moment. Exodus 32, verses 7 through 8 reads this, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. We also read further on in Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 through 20. It reads this, So it was as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. So as we can see by these verses and what is in the second commandment, God is asking for our worship and that worship is to be focused on Him and Him alone. He is asking that we do not make any image of anything graven by man's device, cut out of wood or stone, and so anything that was cast into a mold or formed, engraved by men, is to not be worshipped at all. Now I ask this next question, why would God ask such a request of us? Because it says in the second commandment that He is a jealous God, and rightfully so. It is said that he is jealous of his own honor and glory and will not give it to another. As I said before, he wants you all to himself. That shows just how much he loves you. It's sort of like a jealous spouse, not wanting to share you with anyone else. God put you first when he created and breathed into you the breath of life. He now wants you to put him first, but not only for that reason. He knows that there is nothing else that can take his place or even come close to the glory and love he has for you. But as a repayment, and we know sin lies at the door, we act as if he doesn't exist when we break his commandment and basically say what he has done for us and who he is doesn't even matter. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 21 reads this, 
They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. Imagine for a moment exactly what he must be thinking. Here he is, the one true and only God. And there are people out there that will worship a statue out of the very material that God himself created when he created the world. In turn, they end up worshiping the created and not the creator. You can't make this stuff up. It seems so unreal. Revelation chapter 22 verses 14 through 15 reads, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Idolatry reduces God of what he is. Further commentary on this reads, as the Hebrew word pesel signifies to hew, carve, grave, etc., the Hebrew word pesel may here signify any kind of image, either of wood, stone, or metal, on which the axe, the chisel, or the graving tool has been employed. This commandment includes, in its prohibitions, every species of idolatry known to have been practiced among the Egyptians. With that being said, I want to make it clear, though. Does that mean we need to burn every image of a loved one or our home decor that depicts a random image or animal? No, not at all. Not every statue is an idol. The key here is create to bow down to. Your picture of grandma can stay, but your statue of Mary or Buddha or some other type of false god paints an entirely different picture here. You see, the Egyptian people would take things out of this world and turn them into gods. Things like the sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, and so on. Let's look at some more commentary and quotes on this. It says here, Or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above. Any form, figure, portrait, or picture of anything or creature whatsoever, whether in the supreme, starry, or airy heaven, as of angels which some have gone into the worship of, and of the sun, moon, and stars, the host of heaven, and of any of the birds of the air, as the hawk by the Egyptians, and the dove by the Assyrians, or that is in the earth beneath, as oxen, sheep, goats, cats, dogs, such as were the gods of Egypt, or that is in the water under the earth, as of the fishes, such as were the crocodile of Egypt, the Dagon of the Philistines, and the Dercito of the Syrians. This is the second command, as the Targum of Jonathan expressly calls it, that is, the first part of it, which forbids the making of graven images for worship. The other part follows, which is the worship of them itself. Clemens of Alexandria observes that Numa, king of the Romans, took this from Moses and forbid the Romans to make any image of God, like to man or beast. So it says we are not to perform any worship to them, show any reverence of them by any gesture of the body, one being mentioned bowing the body, and put for all others as prostration of it to the earth, bending the knee, kissing the hand, lifting up of the hands or eyes to them, 
or by any outward action expressing a religious esteem of them, as if there was some type of divinity in them. So to ensure that they had some type of favor of these false gods, they believed that they had to appease them in different ways. Many of those nations back then bowed down to these carved images, to which they sacrificed to perform different acts of worship. Pagan worship often included infanticide and prostitution, among other things. The Israelites were warned of such things, and to set themselves apart from these groups so that they did not fall into their vile worship practices. Leviticus chapter 18 verses 21 says this, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So why are we as a nation in our very own homes and churches so far off from this? Why are we giving glory to material things as if they had some sort of power to actually change our lives, knowing full and well it more than likely says made in China on the bottom of it? I think it's sort of a cover-up, to be honest, a replacement God. I'm also willing to bet that most people just don't know. They are, in fact, just being handed down traditions from their church. You know, there's a quote that says this, It's better to be unborn than untaught, for ignorance is the root of misfortune. It's really a slap in the face of God when you think about it. And we continue to see this many times over in different religions today. One of the biggest out there does this all the time, blatantly and in the face of God. We don't pray to or worship or bow down to Mary, the dead saints, or the Pope. Neither Pope, Mary, nor the saints have any power to change anything within your life. Only Christ and Him alone. It's amazing to see some of the stuff they have actually collected over the years that they claim is real and has some sort of powers one of which is the Scala Sancta, which is a set of 28 white marble steps. Now, according to Roman Catholic tradition, the holy stairs were the steps leading up to Pontius Pilate of Jerusalem, on which supposedly Jesus stepped up on his way to his trial. The stairs were brought to Rome by St. Helena in the 4th century. Martin Luther climbed the steps on his knees in 1510. As he did so, he repeated the Our Father on each step. It was said by doing this work, one could redeem a soul from purgatory. But when Luther arrived at the top, he could not suppress his doubt. He said this, Who knows whether this is true? Charles Dickens, after visiting the Scala Sancta in 1845, wrote this, I never in my life saw anything at once so ridiculous and so unpleasant as this sight. He described the scene of pilgrims ascending the staircase on their knees as a dangerous reliance on an outward observance. Okay, now I ask you this. Where does it say that Jesus walked on any step to visit Pilate in the Bible? It doesn't. Yes, we could assume, but if there were steps, how do we know these are the correct ones? And does it even matter? There is no evidence of this. But let's entertain the idea for a quick second. Is it the steps that hold the power of Jesus, or is it Jesus himself? Didn't Jesus create the steps in a way when he created the materials of this world that made the steps? Of course he did. So what is being said here? 
Well, Alistair Begg once said, idolatry consists not only in the worship of false gods, but also in the worship of the true God in false ways. Ouch. How true that is, and these type of customs continue even until this day. Okay, so moving on, notice in the verse how he also says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. In other words, he doesn't forget. It implies if the children walk in the steps of their fathers, the same will happen to them. If we continue to worship fake gods, we continue to sacrifice ourselves to them and our salvation. Further commentary on this part reads, Covenantly, when a father misleads his family, the effects of that misleading are often felt for generations. This is because the father is being covenantly unfaithful, and God has stipulated that there are punishments to breaking the covenant with God. That is the case with these verses that deal with the sin visit upon the children. If a father rejects the covenant of God and takes his family into sin and rejects God, the children will suffer the consequences, often for several generations. Whether or not this is fair is not the issue. Sin is in the world. The consequences of sin affected many generations. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16 says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. God doesn't understand sin. We can't mold it, carve it, or create it in any way that will make him. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. This takes us into our next part where it says, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. It's interesting that love is mentioned in this commandment. Love and commandment keeping go together. You can't have one without the other. God is saying, when you love me, you keep my commandments. You put me first and I will bless you. Loving God and keeping the commandments of God is not only a sign of love, but also a sign of worship. We can't make anything that sustains him. He sustains us. God doesn't need your idols or your temples. I'd like to take a minute and read Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 29. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devisings. Idolatry takes our attention off the character of God and it fixates it onto something of no value. 
God is of much more value than any man-made God you can put up against him. Notice how all the idols eventually get destroyed. We see this throughout the entire Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar's statue, the Tower of Babel, the statue of Dagon, the image of the beast. So an idol knows nothing, feels nothing, hears nothing, sees nothing. They are lifeless. But God, on the other hand, is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-omnipotent, and all-loving. One thing we hear over and over again during this time is this. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges chapter 2 verses 11 says this, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And again in Judges chapter 3 verses 7, So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. And again and again, we hear the same thing over and over again. Little insight into what an Asherah pole is, it was actually a secret tree or a pole that stood near Canaanite religious locations to bring honor to the pagan goddess Asherah. These were to be torn down. Exodus chapter 34 verses 13 through 14 reads, But you shall destroy their altars, break their secret pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other gods, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And yet, we read that these poles in many cases were kept up, even after destroying everything else. It seems that they were holding on to something, not ready to give it up. They continued to return to their evil ways. Proverbs chapter 26 verses 11 says, As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. We usually think of graven images as idols, but we can make idols of just about anything we place before him. It's not just statues or idols either, as we discussed in detail in our last episode. There is so much more to it than that. It was Isaac Newton that said this, The more time and devotion one spends in the worship of false gods, the less he is able to spend in that of the true one. So in closing, I'd like to say this. The takeaway here is, what are you still holding on to in your life? Are there things in your life that need to be torn down? Things that you are standing in front of? Maybe things you are holding up? Are you really willing to choose something material over something eternal? Something temporary in a place of something everlasting? Maybe you are your own false god. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We have so much more coming your way. Stay tuned for commandment number three. Please remember to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast channel. And stay tuned for our next episode as we return to truth. <laughs>